0: I want you to turn firstly to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, just for a selected verse or two from Matthew, chapter 27, and then we're going back to the prophecy of Isaiah. Matthew 27, and we're reading about the most momentous day in the history of the world until now. We'll start reading at verse 29 concerning the Lord Jesus. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and to read in his right hand, And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture they did cast lots, and sitting down, they watched him there. And six hours later, at verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. as a very brief synopsis of the most momentous occasion that this world has ever seen. Turn back now to Isaiah chapter 45. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 45 And at verse 22, very well-known words and words commonly used in a gospel meeting, but I don't want you to lose them just because of their familiarity. Verse 22, the man that we've read about who hung upon the cross is saying, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. We look to God to bless to us the reading of his word. The most momentous day this world has ever seen was the day the Son of God was taken by cruel hands, crucified upon a cross, outside the wall of Jerusalem City. We read about it there, some of the things that they did. And if we compiled all that was written in the Gospels concerning those hours and those moments of the Savior upon the tree, we still wouldn't have a full explanation. Because while we can read what men did, they drove nails through his hands and through his feet. There came a time when a Roman soldier drove a spear into his side, but away above and beyond all that took place physically upon the cross, away beyond all that could be seen materially by the human eye. We have the words of Isaiah the prophet in another another chapter from which we didn't read. But he says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And that wounding and that bruising and that chastisement and elsewhere where Isaiah says, the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all, is a dimension to the cross that's beyond the human eye to see, beyond the human mind to comprehend, and beyond the human tongue to explain. There's just just a depth and a something to it. That is divine in character when God made to meet upon his Son the iniquity of us all. That's a way above and beyond the nails driven through his hands. That's a way above and beyond the crown of thorns Upon his head. There was something in the death of the Savior upon the cross. In the shedding of his precious blood. That men cannot comprehend. But God understood it. And God was satisfied. And when the Savior said it is finished. It truly was finished. That is the work for salvation was done. The price for redemption was done. And so it is. That we can present a Savior to you this evening. And what does he say? Look unto me, he says and be you saved. I want you to think of the words of this man who was crucified outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And as a result of that great act, that momentous occasion, as a result of what took place, there now is a gospel message to be preached. You've been invited to a gospel meeting. You expect to hear the gospel. The gospel is the good news That is, in a world full of bad news, in a world where there's so much to depress and so much to distract the mind, whether locally or internationally, it makes no difference. It's all bad news, it seems. But here's good news. The Savior who is saying to you, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. But just before we look at the gospel as good news for the sinner, I want you to understand that the gospel is not good news about the sinner. It's good news for the sinner, but it's not good news about the sinner. Because the gospel begins with this, that man had sinned and God needed a remedy for sin. And God sent his son to be that remedy for sin. That Savior was nailed upon a cross not because of bad things he had done, not just because of a peak of hatred of those Jewish leaders, but in the divine purpose of God and the eternal counsels, He was there because it had been determined. A savior was needed when blood was required. Can it cannot be the blood of a man or the blood of an animal. Says the hymn writer rightly, no angel could my place have taken. Highest of the high, though he nailed to that cross, despised, forsaken, was one of the Godhead three. Why was he there? He was there for my sins. And any person who ever gets saved, the, the experience of salvation begins with an understanding in some measure that they're a sinner and they're not ready for heaven. They're not ready to meet God. There's a righteous God who demands an answer for their sin. There's a conscience within that is troubling them about their sin. And I would love this afternoon that someone, just in the quietness of their own soul, would bow their head and now say, I'm that sinner. I have that trouble in my heart and conscience about my sin. Things that I have done, I cannot erase them from my memory. Things that I have done, I cannot expunge them from my conscience. More importantly, things that I have done, I cannot remove them from the register against my name in heaven. Unsaved friend, remember, there is a register of all your sins. For if they're not forgotten, or forgiven, sorry, if those sins are not forgiven, come a day that my Bible speaks about in Revelation chapter 20, the dead unsaved will stand before the Savior who could have been their Savior, but then as their judge, every man will be judged out of the things written. In the books, according to the works. there's a meticulous record in heaven of every sin, if you're not saved, a meticulous record of every sin in thought and word and deed that you've ever committed, the ones you've forgotten about, the ones you didn't know that you'd committed, as well as the one that you know fine rightly you have committed and you love to be rid of them when you can't. But for those who are saved, thank God the record is clear. At the moment of conversion, at the moment we looked to him and were saved in the words of Isaiah, the record was taken and cleared immediately. Every sin was, and it was every sin, it wasn't some of the sins, it wasn't just the worst ones, it was every sin was forgiven. And we were given a righteous standing before God. The gospel It's good news for the sinner, but it's not good news about the sinner because it tells you exactly your state, your condition before God. Well, then, if it's good news for the sinner, what exactly is it? It is that there's a Savior who died for your sins, that there's a Savior who rose again and went home to heaven And as you and I sit here in the comfort of this building, there's a Savior with nail-pierced hands and feet upon the throne of His glory. He's ascended, and He's the object of heaven's adoration. He's at the right hand of the Father. God is satisfied with the work that He did upon the cross. And as a result... He says, and on behalf of him, I direct you to his words when he says, look unto me if there's a sinner who wants to be rid of their sin this afternoon. If there's one with a burden, would love to know I'd be ready for heaven and my sins will all be taken away. Listen to the words of the Savior. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. There's nothing complicated about it. Anything complicated is just the way we have made it complicated. And the way you have made it complicated in all your twisted thinking about it, the Savior in all the plainness of these words says, look unto me and be ye saved. That's it. Look unto me and be ye saved. That is, depend upon him and upon him alone. I remember... In a previous day being sent to do a particular job was going to be very difficult. It likely was beyond the reach of my experience and ability. But the man who had sent me, it could only be done by one man, and the man who had sent me, he said, now listen, if you get into difficulties, just look to me, and I'll sort it out. You see, I went in the assurance that All I had to do was look to him. He had the experience. He had the knowledge. And that's exactly the idea of the word, look unto me. Just look to the one who says he'll forgive your sins. Depend upon him. Turn to him if you like. That's the idea. Turn to the one who has the ability to save you. Five things in just a few minutes from this lovely verse. I want you to think of this verse in its simplicity. Look unto me. It's not complicated. Had he said, join this, pay that, do that, it would have been, it would have been a thousand complications. What should I join? How much should I pay? How long should I do it? And there would have been a thousand ideas from different men. But the Savior says very simply, look unto me. Just turn to Him. That's as simple as it can become look unto me. He's the one who says in verse 21, he says, there is no God beside me. And he says to emphasize it in this verse, look unto me for I am God and there's none else. That removes every complication of man's making. That removes every possible distraction. Should I look to him or should I try this or try the other? He says, no, no, just look to me. And I'll tell you when you'll get saved." You'll get saved when you leave aside all your trying and all your believing and all your trusting. How do I know? Because that's exactly what happened to me. As a wee boy of 12, not many miles from here, wanting to be saved, I come home from a gospel meeting. And for a week, I had struggled with this. Yeah. You see, the preachers, you do what the preacher says. Well, I hope you do. The wee boy of 12, I was going to do what the preacher said. Just believe on him trust in him, depend upon him, look to him. And all these verbs, these doing words, they were all trotted off the platform night after night, one after another. And I thought it's very simple. I'll go home and I'll just do what he says. I went home on a Sunday night in 1967 and I tell you, it was likely the darkest night of my life. I sat down in my bed and I tried this verse, I tried that verse. I read the verse of that hymn. I recited the words of that chorus in my mind. And the more I tried it, the darker it got. Until eventually I remember sitting, as a wee boy would do, and I clenched my fist and I say, but I do believe I wasn't saved. And I remember leaving the room and just about to go out, and I said to myself, well, it worked for all those other people. It's not going to work for me. God's not going to save me and I was just about to add my hand up to switch off the light and go downstairs. Something came into my mind now. I'm not hearing voices. It was as real as saying goodbye to my wife about an hour ago. Something came into my head saying, go back and read it again. I went back to my Bible. The Bible ribbon was in Isaiah 53. I read down that passage, and I said, what is God saying to me? God is saying, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. And I remember saying, well, what exactly is God saying? In my mind, I could picture three crosses, we'd sung about it in Sunday school, standing side by side of broken law aside, two for their own transgressions. The middle one for mine. With his stripes we are healed. And I realized then and then it was with his stripes that I was healed. And I remember standing up and saying, well, that's good enough for God. That's good enough for me. And the burden was gone. And there was a joy that filled my soul. Now, the joy didn't save me, but I tell you, it was there. And don't listen to anybody that tells you there's no feelings in salvation feelings don't bring salvation but if you have no feelings after you're saved there's something wrong for there's a burden that's gone there's a conscience that's eased and there's a soul that's saved and there's a name written in heaven there's everything to give you delight in your soul and at that moment how did he get saved? all my trying, trusting, believing trying to work it out in my mind all that did was just confuse me altogether I got saved when I looked to him and I took my eyes off myself, got my eyes upon Christ. And if the someone under the sound of my voice would love to be saved, my advice to you is this. Get your mind occupied with the saviour upon the cross and listen to him say, look unto me. Not to a verse. A verse of Scripture never saves anybody. But the verse in the Bible directs you to the one who will save. I'm not depending on Isaiah 53 and 5 to get into heaven. I'm depending upon the one of whom it speaks. He has saved my soul. Friendly, he'll save yours too. And it's a message of utter simplicity. It's a message of definite certainty. Look unto me and be ye saved. Could it be any more certain? Could it be any more sure? It's not a case of, look and I'll see what I can do. It's not a case of, look and well, we'll try our best to get rid of our sins. Says the Savior, look unto me and there's a consequence of looking. Look and you can't get saved without looking or turning to him. But there's a great certainty. Look unto me and be ye saved. My friend, listen. The reason you're not saved is simply because you've never looked to him. It's not because it's too difficult. It's not because you don't understand it. It's not because it's far too complicated. It's simply because there's never been a moment in your life when you have looked to him alone. The simplicity of it, the certainty of it, The safety that it brings, look unto me and be ye saved. That's a great word. It's not look unto me and become a Christian. Well, that might be one way of describing it, but that's not how the Bible puts it. Look unto me and become good living. Well, that's not a Bible word either, but I'll tell you, just in case you hadn't noticed, it's an expectation the Bible has for every person who does get saved, that they do live a good life. And it should be the outshot or the natural response of the heart to want to do it. But it's just this lovely word saved, rescued, delivered, rescued from your sin, and delivered from eternal doom in a moment of time. Utter simplicity, definite certainty, glorious safety, just to know I'm saved. There are folks in the audience here, some of them, maybe they've been saved longer than I've been a human being. Ask them, what's it mean to be saved? And they'll tell you, it's the best thing ever. I tell you, it is the best thing ever. There's nothing in life like knowing just this one word. It's mine. I'm saved. My sins have all been forgiven. My eternity is secure. and never be in a lost eternity. Tell me, is there anything even comes near it? Not a thing. All the wealth of the world, all the status in society, all the education you can get in the world, all the prestige the world would heap upon you for achievements, nothing but nothing is like just being saved. Great simplicity. Complete certainty. And eternal Safety. But to somebody, wonder does that apply to me? Wonder could I be saved? When the Savior says, look unto me and be saved, does that really mean me? Listen to him. See if you can fit yourself in here. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth. Doesn't matter your race. Doesn't matter what part of the world you live in doesn't matter your status in society, your educational ability, none of those things. He says, just look unto me. All the ends of the earth. Grasp the wideness of the gospel message. Grasp the breadth of the invitation. Grasp the tremendous availability of this great blessing. It is for all the ends of the earth. John the Baptist had got a grasp of that when he was standing on the banks of the river Jordan he saw the Savior coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, of the whole world. Be gone with the idea that there's salvation in Christ for only a few. Be done with the heresy that he died for some but not for all. And be done with the heresy that he died for all, but it's only offered to some. He died for all and it's offered to all. But the reality is not all will be saved. Because not all will look. That's the only thing that keeps you away from God's salvation. That's the only thing that keeps your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. It is the fact that you've never, ever looked. The blessing the Savior provided, it is a universal blessing. But as individual in its application. In other words, you, as an individual, have got to look unto him, and he promises if you do. He promises with certainty if you do, you will be saved. Simplicity, certainty, safety, availability, authority. Who says that? Walter Boyd? No. Christians that meet in this hall? No. Well, they do say it. They agree with it. But it was written long before them. Oh, some of the old patriarchs and the prophets. This is just the words of Isaac. No, no. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. It's not look unto me and be saved because I'm a priest. Not look unto me and be saved because I'm a preacher. Not look unto me and be saved because I'm a pastor. The Savior says, look unto me and be you saved, for I am God. Your sins have been against God. God's law has been broken. To God you're accountable. God has provided a great redemption and atoning sacrifice in his Son. And if you look to him, you'll receive the blessing of salvation choice is yours nobody can force you to do it my friend the devil could fool you out of doing it the devil could hinder you from doing it just by influencing your mind in ways that keep you occupied with other things upon which you place greater value than the true value of your soul not be long until none of us will be here Now, I'm not a morbid individual, not at all. But in less than a hundred years, there'll not be one of us here. Where will you be? I know where I'll be. I'll be in heaven because I have the authority of this book and the authority of God and I have the blood of Christ and the death of Christ to guarantee to me. In the words of the apostle, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Tell me, is that worth it? Is that worth having? Is there anything equals it? Never mind, betters it. Not a thing in the world. Just to know. If something happened to me on the way back to Bangor this evening, the car went off the road and I was killed, whatever, straight home to heaven, into the presence of the Savior, forever. That happened to you. And you were then, in a few hours, just as you are now, Where would you be? Heaven or hell? Make up your mind. Look to the Savior and in looking to him enjoy the great certainty, the greatest blessing a soul could ever have that is simply in the word saved, delivered, rescued from eternal judgment. Let us pray. Our Father, we bow again in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to thee for this beautiful text from Scripture. Thank thee for thine inspired word. We can trust every word of it. We can trust the sentiments behind it. We can trust the saviour of whom it speaks. We can trust the redemption upon which it's based. That thy Son made himself a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And as a result, the message goes out to the whole world, to all the ends of the earth, that all they have to do is look unto him. We pray that a soul will do this just now in the quietness of their own soul and heart. Just simply look away off to the Saviour and in looking to him in the words that we have sung. As they look, they will live. We pray for thy blessing. Pray for honour to be brought to the Lord Jesus. Pray for glory to thy name. And above all, we pray for blessing for a sinner this afternoon. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.